Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, coming at you from my tiny apartment in Buffalo, New York. And joining me from his tiny apartment in Madrid, Spain, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my married brother from another mother, how you doing? I'm doing well, I'm a married man. Doing pretty awesome. Yes, uh, congratulations on getting that done. Um, Yeah, so tell us, you know... I, I thought it was kind of a, a surprise, and I think some other people may think it's a surprise. So, you know, if you care to share some of the details, where we are eager to listen here. It was a big surprise for most people. Um, my family knew ahead of time that it was going to happen, and uh, some of our closer friends. But, uh, yeah, otherwise it was pretty much a big shock. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, or last week on the podcast, I talked about this. Uh, Megan, my then-girlfriend, had to uh, go to the ER and um, we'd been talking about getting married for at least a year, maybe two. We've been together for, you know, about four years and um, oh, four plus, actually. And so, you know, we'd been talking about getting married eventually, but we had been kind of waiting. There was like money things we were worried about. And um, and then she was in the ER and she's fine, by the way. Uh, well, I mean, we're not entirely sure whether she had a seizure or whether it was just some kind of weird um acid reflux uh ulcery kind of thing um but she's been to the doctor was working on that but in any case you know we're sitting there in the ER and I just decided that I I didn't want to wait any longer to be married to her so I I proposed to her right there in the uh, emergency room while she's laying in the bed and uh she was excited by it she was down for it and I would have completely understood if she said that she wanted to wait but she was with me on that, and uh, so we went to City Hall here in Buffalo the next week, got our marriage license, and then uh, a week later, just because of scheduling with uh, City Hall, we had to wait another week to do the ceremony. We would have done it sooner, but then, yeah, that was last Thursday, and so we just posted it on on, all, on our Facebook pages and stuff, and yeah, most of the responses were total surprise, including yours. <laughs> <laughs> just total shock. Um, but so, yeah, now now she's my wife, and it's awesome. Yeah, well, congratulations. I mean, you know, we've just become friends over the summer doing this podcast. So, you know, obviously, you know, we become, I think, more and more better friends. But, yeah, it was a complete shock. But at the same time, I wouldn't – it didn't really surprise me that much, especially since um, you have been going out for so long. So uh, I'm sure it was bound to happen. So congratulations from over here in Madrid. Thank you. Thank you. appreciate it. 
So what's going on with you? You have curtains in your apartment. I do. I, you know, we talked last week briefly that I went to IKEA, the worldwide leader in tiny furniture for tiny apartments. You know, and so I, yeah, so I went to IKEA, got some ideas, and slowly but surely, I've been putting together my apartment here. Um, it's been taking longer than usual, but it's it's coming around, and so hopefully, you know, by January, I'll have a fully functional family room slash home office slash podcast recording center. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited for the progress um, and where it's going because I do work at home majority of the time. So it's important to have obviously a comfortable um, living space. And also, I, you know, when you have, you know, other human beings over, you know, you don't want them to sit on the floor, you know, these t- <laughs> so you want yeah. to, you know, have be comfortable. And so, um, so slowly and surely just kind of putting things together. So uh, really excited to what's uh, the progress, and I will be painting the apartment in two weekends. So yeah, I'm 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 adulting here. Yeah, you're really making it your own. Correct. I'm going to paint it um, blue and red, the colors of Barça. What do you think? I think that's an <laughs> awesome thing to do to an apartment in Madrid. <laughs> I think that's like the best, one of the best trolls you could possibly make. Correct. And then the other thing too is I'm going to get a big fat head of. Like so, someone on the team and just post it as my art, you know, like just do something like that. As <laughs> soon as you walk in the door. Correct. Like in the hallway. And not even messy because like someone could even be okay with that, but just some really off. I have, I have a better idea. My hallway is pretty, you know, pretty long, nice space to put these fat heads. I could put like four fat heads of like the wall of shame, like the worst signings that in Barca's history, <laughs> you know, like have that as my, as my wall of shame, Barca signings, fat head hallway entrance. I don't know. I think you might have to get custom fat heads made of the, of those players. Oh, you can. You just you, what you do is you just take a picture, you upload it, and they send it to you. It's pretty amazing. Oh, oh yeah, because you cannot. Okay. You can also get fat heads of uh, professional, uh, you know, professional sports people, but you can also get fat heads of yourself. So, oh, wow. oh yeah, you can like get your own fat head, which is both scary and uh, interesting. <laughs> well, when we open the Barca Talk merch shop, I think we should definitely have fat heads of you and I available in the Barca Talk merch store. There you go. I like that. We can do like a funny fat head like, you know, I don't know if you remember the show Fantasy Island. I could be like the the midget guy on your on your lap with that face and you can be like the <laughs> Ricardo Montalban guy. <laughs> Tattoo. <laughs> exactly. And we just have like the Barca uh the Barca scudo like on the front or something like that. I think that would sell like hotcakes. Oh, man, I have to apologize to our younger <laughs> listeners because we are definitely pulling out some early early 80s, early to mid 80s deep cut references lately, like Fantasy Island, the original with Ricardo Mantalban and Correct. his rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I used to love the, oh, just the opening to Fantasy Island was so great. Just when Tattoo would just yell out, the plane, boss, the plane. Exactly. That's all it was for me. Correct. The rest of the show, I could give two shits about. Yeah, the play. But anyway, um, let's talk about the show a little bit, uh, what's going on with the show. Um, actually, not a whole lot of news to report because we've been, we have been accepted on Spotify. They have allowed us to distribute the podcast on Spotify. But at the moment, we are still not on Spotify. Um, we are apparently only going to be in 23 countries. But that will include, you know, your big players, the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Sweden, uh, home of Ikea. And um, I don't know what all countries. So I know that we have a, you know, a big following in Denmark. 
I don't, I'm not sure if we're going to be available on Spotify in Denmark, but that is in the works. And uh, we've been both frantically checking our Spotify apps every day, 10 to 20 times a day to see if the podcast has shown up on Spotify yet. And it still has not. Um, they gave us kind of a time frame. And this coming week is when it should be up. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Although we've we've agreed that if if we don't show up on Spotify by like Tuesday, uh, a very strongly worded email will be written. Correct. They're, I mean, remember we talked about last time, they're like the equivalent of the cable guy. They're like, oh, your podcast will be on there between now and two weeks between the hours of this and this, like no real kind of destination date. And like you said, I've been checking frantically because, you know, I feel, I feel like it's a big step in our podcasting career to be on Spotify, you know, and I want this to happen, you know, so I can show family and friends that I've amounted to something in the last four months. And uh, yeah, so I've been checking frantically and hopefully by this week we will be on Spotify. Yeah, so if you're using Spotify, keep your eyes peeled for Barca Talk there uh, this coming week. Uh, according to what they've told us, we should probably appear this week. But, you know, of course, we can't make any guarantees because Spotify is – we can't even get in touch with the people there. We have to go through the intermediary of our hosting service, Libsyn, uh, which are great. They're all great and responsive people. Libsyn is awesome, and I, I, I love – using them for hosting the podcast. But yeah, everything concerning Spotify goes through Libsyn. I, I can't even get in touch with a person at Spotify. But anyway, this is uh, some behind the scenes uh, stuff, uh, just kind of keeping you informed as to what's going on with the show. Um, but we don't want to belabor it too much. Now, I do also want to point out that um, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you should, uh, because we did a really good feature on the 92 Dream Team, and it was excellent. Uh, so that's episode 52, Reliving the Dream Team. That's the name of the episode. Um, anytime that there's an international break, you know, we're a little bit wanting for content or, you know, ways to fill out the show. So we like to do these feature stories. And I have to say, this was, I think, one of our best ones. Uh, and of course, at the same time, those weeks following international breaks where there wasn't uh, Barca games to talk about, we tend to have fewer um, fewer people listening to the episode. So I just want to let you know that that was a really good episode. And if nothing else, you should listen to the, the feature on the 92 Dream Team. So go back and, and listen to that. Yeah, I mean, I had a really good time putting that together and, and talking about that. Um, I think it's really important to know the history of the Dream Team because that's really what the blueprint of Barcelona is now. So I, I really had a good time looking at all the videos and so forth. And of course... Your favorite video, the rap video that we put on the Facebook page. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, could that be the dream team of sports rap videos? I don't know. You know, that with the 85 Bears, Bear Shuffle, and some other teams. But it is pretty epic rap because it's such a crappy song. So, but that video, <laughs> that video was amazing. And I can't stop watching it. Like, I put it on the Facebook page and I watched it probably like 100 times already because it is a little catchy, you know, like the beat of it. But then, like, oh, yeah. the lyrics of it are so, I mean, like, like a 12 year old, right? It's like, what rhymes with Bart? Like, I put this on there. What rhymes with Barca? Barca. That's what it rhymes with. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> it's like orange. Nothing rhymes with it except exactly. itself. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think Baquero had some flow. <laughs> Which was what was flowing more, his hair or his rhymes? It's a it's a close one. That is a tight race. <laughs> Correct. That is like that is some that's a mullet hall of fame, you know. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. Let me just put on my music nerd hat for just one second. So on that song, that rap song, my favorite moment is when 
um, there's a it's a sampled keyboard, and it's the the sample they're using is kind of like someone going huh, and so there's this great moment during there's like a break between verses, and you you just hear. <laughs> I wish I could do it as well because it all it has all the like the clean attack of, of yeah, each yeah. key. Anyway, it's, that's my favorite moment in the song. But yeah, go check that out on our Facebook page and go back and listen to episode fifty two for that feature on the Dream Team. It was it was fantastic. But let's get into some uh, Barca news and notes. Um, there are two main things that we're going to talk about in this news and notes section today. Um, the first one, this is kind of a big blow, I think. Um, Mascherano was injured, so he tore the muscles in his right leg during the Argentina friendly with Nigeria, and he's going to be out for a month. So my initial thought on this is that while Mache is not the starter that he used to be, because now we have Monsieur Umtiti holding down the center, this is still, I think, a pretty bad blow to the back line with with the, all the matches coming up. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Like, what muscles did he tear? You know, like I tore my calf muscle playing soccer football and I was out six months and it was like one of the most painful things I've ever had. And he just like, it's, you know, you have in the notes, tore muscles. Like what? Like, uh, well, and I gonna... know which one specifically. I kind of dumbed it down actually okay. for, for the podcast. But if you want to know specifically, I'll, t- I'll tell you exactly what he tore. Okay. So tell me. He um, he had a fibrillar tear in the femoral biceps of his right leg. Okay, so his hamstrings. Huh? 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 Sure. I don't know if you know, Brian. <laughs> I studied sports science, so I know these type of things. Um, but yeah, did, that means did you really? Yeah, I did. I studied kinesiology at the Arizona oh, State cool. University. Thank you very much. Um, nice. <clears throat> but yeah, I, that, you know that's you know that's your hamstring, right? So he tore obviously some muscles in there. So obviously it's a minor tear. So it's not so major that he's going to be out for so long, but still one month. And especially what happened yesterday's in what yesterday's game with PK getting the yellow card, he's not going to be available for the Valencia game. That hurts us not having Mascherano. And of course, we're going to have to use Vermeulen most likely in the game, unless Valvert Valgreen comes up with some crazy formation. But we have some tough games coming up and we need that depth, not only for um, to give some rotation, some rest, but Mascherano is a key, you know, especially in these tough games. We don't know with injury and cards. So it is a definite blow, um, especially, you know, he can play defensive mid or he can play back on the back line. So hopefully he'll come back sooner than later and we'll see how he, his recovery is. I think maybe against Valencia, he might even, uh, Val Green might even opt for uh no, he's not going to do this. I wish he would, though, just so that Vermeulen doesn't play. But uh, if he just lines up a 3-4-3 with Umtiti as the, the lone center back, and then, um, you know, have Busquets just, like, drop back when he needs to for support. I mean, you never know, right? I mean, he could um, alter the the tactics. But the, the like you said, against Valencia, at Valencia, I would not try to do that formation. I would try to be way more conservative, maybe have Paulinho to help with the physicality in the center and something, you know, I don't know, something like that. But, um, you know, this is not good news right now, especially with uh, PK getting the yellow card yesterday. And also just with our lack of depth at center back. Yeah. Now, here is some good news, in my opinion. Well, it's good news for me. Uh, so this is our next little uh, news item. Uh, Chabi, my number one Barca player of all time, is on the verge of retiring and getting his coaching badges. He told Sport this last week that this will surely be his last year as a, a footballer. And he plans to get his coaching badges next year and move into the next stage in his career. And I have to tell you, I have been waiting 
hoping for this news to come down ever since starting the show. Um, you know, we're still a long way off from seeing him back at Barcelona coaching. Maybe it just won't happen. Who knows? But this is a huge first step. And I hope that within a few years, he's managing Barca B and then on to the first team. Because as you know, my top five um, Barcelona players of all time are Chabi, 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 and Chabi. I mean, that's really good news. And, and I'm going to use this quote. Badges? We don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> <laughs> Man, again, pulling out the deep cut. <laughs> no, this is this is really great news because, again, um, Xavi is basically, you know, he's like, he knows exactly what the Barca style is, the culture, everything that goes along with it. And so him getting coaching badges to hopefully further his career and be a coach and be back at Barca B, you it's a great thing. So all this news is really great, especially, you know, for the future. Uh, I could totally see him coaching the Barca B team and eventually the the senior team down the line because, you know, he's the captain, right? And usually captains can kind of translate that to being a coach because not only were they able to manage the team on the field, but they also have a unique perspective. So I think his unique qualities will, will help him to be a really great coach down the line. Just like Pep Guardiola, like Pep Guardiola had that that special quality characteristic of being a captain, you know, being the director of the team on the field. I think that's a really unique talent to have to manage those 11 on the field to get that respect that automatically as a coach, you know, he's won so many things. You know, it's 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 very um, similar to what happened with Zidane with Real Madrid. Like when he became the manager, he automatically gained respect in that locker room. First of all, because, A, he was such a great player and won so many trophies, but also they, they realized his tactics and the way he could manage the team. And so everyone followed suit. I mean, you see Ronaldo automatically was able to follow suit with Zidane. So hopefully Xavi will have the same effect down the line with any Barca team that he coaches. Yeah, and I think he absolutely will because not only was he a great captain and a great player, but he, as I understand it, is a real student of the game and he has a very tactical strategic kind of mind so I I think he'll be very well suited to it and uh, yeah since he's like my ultimate Barca hero I I don't think anything could make me happier I just hope that if he does eventually get the job you know that it doesn't destroy him as that job can often do to people but anyway we'll uh, you know as the years go by we'll we'll see how that story develops for now he's still playing in Qatar and he's going to finish out the season and then we'll see what happens Let's move on to our listener comments. We actually got a lot of great comments this week, and these are just some. We're going to pick up some more later on when we're actually uh, talking about the um, Leganes match. This first one is actually kind of an old one. Uh, Somehow we overlooked this message from a couple weeks ago, but it's still relevant. Uh, So we wanted to read this message from Victor. He got in touch with us on Facebook, and uh, he sent this just after the match against Olympiacos in the Champions League. And we had said that the draw they got was uh, sufficient to get them to finish at the top of Group D. But Victor had another take on it. Uh, He said that uh, even before this match, I would have challenged the importance of a better result in Athens. That is, there is still a scenario where we don't qualify in the top spot in Group D. Should we lose in Italy, we can't underestimate a Juve side in their home. And should we tie at home versus Sporting and Juve win their final match, we are number two. And then he also says, he goes on to say, let's talk about the week of away hell, which is actually what we just started. 
He says, uh, we play Leganes away, Juve away, and cap it all off with a very scary, good Valencia away, all in one week's time. We really needed to not have to worry about Juve this week. Now, following the tie with Olympiacos, we just made that away week that much more difficult. My point, Olympiacos was an important match. So all really good points, Victor. Thank you for that. And again, sorry we somehow like overlooked it. But again, I still think it's really pertinent. And, you know, I, I'll be honest. I hadn't taken all of the factors that uh, Victor mentions into my assessment of how important that Olympiacos match was. You know, the scenario he lays out is entirely possible. He makes a good point that you can't underestimate Juve on their home field. Although, uh, while sporting are tough, I'd say it's less likely that they'll draw in the Camp Nou. But, you know, we have all these complicating factors of the away games and these injuries, um, and maybe that might be enough. Yeah, I mean, those are some good points, but I still think we should be okay with the with being the leader of the table. I think, um, especially with the victory yesterday in Leganus, that starts us off in a good start. Um, it was a difficult match. Um, you know, like I said in my... I think on Twitter or something that the four o'clock kickoff times here are super, super difficult because four o'clock here in Spain is like 9 a.m. in the rest of the world. It's like really early. Like it's funny like that. So um, that's they were able to get the victory with that. Then the second thing, the Juve game that's coming up, I think they'll be definitely motivated. They'll be concentrated. I think they'll be focused for that game, especially what happened last year. But also they've, they're going to have a good amount of rest between these games, right? So they played Saturday. They didn't have to travel too far just to Madrid. Then they're going to travel to Juventus. Then again, Valencia. Now, the only thing that's difficult for me to look at with the Valencia game is, like we pointed out with the Mascherano injury, is not having PK available. So I think that's going to be more difficult than the Juve game for me. So Victor brought up some really good points, but I think still that we should be okay. Like you said, I think we should be able to get this, the victory against Sporting and be okay with that. I mean, it's a really um, you know iffy scenario for a lot of things to happen. Not saying that it's not from being impossible, but... I think that the it's more favorable for Barca to be still top of the table in the champions. Yeah, but I, I think the the only the main point that he's getting at is that the Olympiacos match was maybe a little bit more important than we had given credit for. And yeah, I recognize that. But but you know, we drew. It, it happened. It is what it is. And now uh, moving forward, I I still think that we're in a good position. It's going to be a little bit tougher, maybe. But, um, yeah, I think we can still come out at the top of that group. I mean, on paper, we should have won, right? And the thing is, we can't win every game. And so getting a tie over there is still really a great result. And, you know, there's, again, they're playing so many games, so many games. It's really hard to ask them to be up for every game. And I know on paper, we should kill them. Even on FIFA, we should kill them. But, again, these are real sports, right? The other team's a professional team. We had to go to Athens. They were ready and we got, you know, we got a point. We didn't lose and we move on and we try to just focus on the game, the next game and the next game and the next game. So thanks again, Victor, for that. Um, next comment came from Marcin. He got in touch with us on Facebook also. And he's talking about the wide gap between Barcelona and Real Madrid right now in the league, uh, which is I, I guess we could pull that out of the schadenfreude files. So it's really enjoyable uh, so far how the league is shaping up specifically with uh, relation to Real Madrid. But uh, Marcin says, since Real Madrid won so much lately, including back-to-back Champions Leagues, they probably need another challenge to get motivated. What if coming back from trailing by 10 points is just another one of their little let's break another record challenges? I'm kidding, of course. 
but something is not right about their slump that is almost too good to be true. And we also cannot take anything away from Barca that is very effective this season. So my initial thought on this is Zidane. You know, we've all seen how tough the job of managing is on our end at Barcelona, partially because the fans and the media are apparently, as I understand it, just so demanding and unrelenting. Every manager at Barca in the last 15 years or so has been kind of destroyed if they did it for more than a couple of years. And Zidane is nearing the end of his initial deal, and I wonder if he's getting a lot of the same kind of situation where he's just getting exhausted. And, um, you know, he has all the talent that he could want, but I, I'm wondering if, if it's really more on, on Zidane's end, if he's just kind of running out of steam to do the job. You know, it's funny because, like, last night we were watching the Madrid Derby at a bar, and I was talking with my friends about what do you think is going on with Real Madrid? And my one friend said, basically, the young guys should be playing right now just to give some spark, some sort of cohesion, some sort of hope right now, and then plug in the players back. But I think the biggest problem right now with Zidane is he's really loyal to Benzema, and Benzema hasn't been looking all that sharp, and also Ronaldo hasn't been scoring. So with those, all those things combined, they're not able to win those games anymore. You know, before Ronaldo was having two goals a game and Benzema was having an assist to here or there and Gareth Bale was not injured. So I don't know. They're, you know, always their main objective is Champions League. La Liga is kind of second or third. And, you know, Martin brings up a good point. Maybe it could be a challenge, but, you know, 10 points, you know, in the last two years, Barca and Real Madrid have both qualified better than 90 points in La Liga. So, it's really, really difficult to come back from 10 points. And if Barcelona keeps their margin, Real Madrid's going to have no hope and they'll just have to focus directly on the Champions League. But like I said, it could be Zidane just you know running out of steam. But also I think he's kind of too loyal to the old guys still, you know, like Benzema, um, even Ronaldo. Like Ronaldo last night looked like shit. Like he looked, he looked terrible because, you know, when – when you're that um, when type of type of player as a number nine, you also have to be good at passing. And I wouldn't put him as a great passer. And as you can see last night, it was a very – I thought it was a very boring game. And I think Zidane can do a little bit more to tactically change things. But, you know, I'm not a real Madrid fan, so good riddance. I'm glad he's having a difficult time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all are. <laughs> all right. So thanks again, Marcin. That was a good one. And our our last one for now came from Zach, also on Facebook. He says, hi, guys. Just a discussion topic. Do you think that having a player like Messi, parentheses, G-O-A-T, and the pressure of the club to maximize its limited time with a player of his caliber has actually stunted our youth development and La Masia? For example, having a win-now mentality in the transfer window and focus on buying first-team-ready players rather than developing and giving a player like Alenia and others time to work into the team, and will that hurt us? Thanks, guys. So I thought this was a really interesting question. This is always one of the kind of philosophies of the front office of any professional team. You know, you have these windows, and when you have a great player, greatest of all time, GOAT, like Messi— you have to win now because you never know when this window is going to happen again. So I'd rather have the philosophy of going for first uh, team players now and trying to win as much as possible because we don't know what's going to happen when Messi retires. This is always a big kind of topic in NBA 
whenever you have like a best player like LeBron James or like my Warriors with Steph Curry right now. Like you have to go all in right now. And yeah, maybe have developing a back seat a little bit, but also you just never know when this window is going to happen. You know, like for example, like I, I'm a huge 49ers fan and they were amazing when I was a kid and I thought that would never end. They haven't been to the playoffs in so long. They sucked for so long. They suck now. And so you never know when these windows are going to happen. When you have the greatest player of all time on your team, you want your front office to go all in and to actually try to win now. Because like I said, we never know when this is going to repeat and how long it's going to take to get back to this type of, you know, where we're just winning every game and qualifying for champions. And it's just easy games. You know, we don't know when that's going to happen again. That's true. I mean, on on one hand, I think I, I'm definitely more of an idealist or a philosopher uh, between us. I think you raise a really good practical point, which is that, you know, these kinds of scenarios where you have a player like Messi are so few and far between, so rare. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this again um, in our lifetimes because uh, Messi is, as we've mentioned before, and as a lot of people have, you know, he's just from another planet. So it's just it's not it's not something that you can count on. And as far as that kind of eating into the opportunities for young up and coming players from La Masia, I mean, I think there's still been a pretty good record of uh, La Masia players getting opportunities, maybe not quite as much as we would want. Um, I think the real issue, if you're if you're going to look at whether or not La Masia is contributing to the first team the way you want is you got to look at the actual Masia, you know, how it's being managed, what kinds of players they're recruiting because they don't have the same recruitment people or the same recruitment practices that they did 20, 30 years ago, even 10 years ago for that matter. So they're not exactly producing the same players out of the academy that they once did because of the way that they're running the academy. And whether or not that changes, I think will have more to do with whether those young players get more opportunities in the first team or not, because every manager has made at least some effort to give younger players opportunities. Valverde has already shown that he's interested in that. Um, I think maybe he's playing it a bit safe sometimes, uh, really, you know, going in with the, the best 11 all the time, uh, but just uh, trying to pull out those wins. But again, I think that point that you raised, answers for that you know it's like we're in a unique window of time and we have to just take advantage of it while we can i mean i think we'll see definitely with um alenia and our nice like what happens with them and their development now if they just come into the team and various seamless transition and they start to produce very at a high level then we'll have a nice transition period coming from Messi because those two guys could ultimately carry the team in the future as a tandem you know um you know like I said, I would rather have the board go for these wins now, this win now mentality, because I don't want to look back in the messy era and said we could have won 20 as opposed to having won 10. You know, like you don't want to leave anything left because, like I said, we never know when we're going to see this type of player ever again, and let alone at Barcelona. Absolutely. But really good question, Zach. Uh, that was a much appreciated comment. Um, you, I didn't see that one coming, so Good call on that. Now, before we get into our match reviews of the first team against Leganes, uh, let's check in with Barca B and FCB Femini. So the women crushed 
the the team from Lithuania on aggregate nine nothing. So they they're going to advance, and for the third straight year, they're going to the quarters. I think they'll have the drawing soon, so we'll see where they end up. Um, and they also during the domestic league, they demolished Madrid. Always nice seven nothing. Obviously, it's not um, associated with Real Madrid, but. We can pretend they are, so it just makes us feel better. Um, but also, just you know, they're they're just they're looking really, really good. Unfortunately, they lost today, one nothing to Tenerife. Um, you know, that opens the door to Atletico trying to get some extra points here and be top of the table. But here, you've highlighted a player, Barbara from uh, FCB Feminine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah. So, um, looking back to that Madrid CFF match, the seven nothing trouncing. There was a one goal each from Lika Martins, Tony Duggan, and um, Andonova, but there were also four goals from Barbara, and Barbara actually made the assists on the other three. So I just want to highlight this player. Uh, she's a 24-year-old forward from Zaragoza. She came to Barcelona in 2015 after playing two years across town at Espanyol, and she usually comes off the bench, but in that particular match, she got the start, and... So when she wasn't scoring, she was assisting, and there was one particularly good assist that she made for the uh, the Tony Duggan goal. So I would just say, check out Barbara. She's really, like, fierce uh, coming down that right side. Lika Martin's coming down the left side. Tony Duggan up the center. It's a really formidable attacking force that they have, um, at least in that match. And that, that assist she had for Tony Duggan was, I think, really beautiful. Go watch the highlights on the... Um, FC Barcelona website. So yeah, and generally I was looking at their um their tactics and they tend to really line up with a, a 4-3-3 as far as I can tell. It's a little difficult to tell just from highlights. And since the Champions Leagues are the only ones that are actually kind of broadcast that I can see, and they're only broadcast live, and I actually have things to do during the day on a weekday, so I can't watch Champions League matches. But uh it's interesting to see that they they follow pretty much the same kind of model and philosophy as the first team on the men's side. I mean, that really makes me happy. It's like like plugging these women into the Barca philosophy of tactics and also just getting really great players to to play this this style, you know? I think there's two things that are lacking for me for the FCB Feminine that would just kind of make me a little bit happier. I I hope they sign an American player soon. I think that would be really cool just for our kind of vested interest as both being Americans as like someone to root for and have someone on the FC uh, feminine temp team. And the other thing too, is like, I wish on their website that they would do kind of a better job of updating the news. And I know they probably don't have the resources, probably they probably have interns doing it, but at the same time, like, like I find more information on their Twitter than on the actual page, right on the page. Like they'll have like, three days ago, maybe the game, you know, and they don't really have any type of write-up or anything like that. So I wish they could maybe get another intern, maybe something like this, and then like get some more to put more news on there. Because like, since we're highlighting it and we're trying to find information, it's, it's a bit difficult to find the highlights sometimes. And it's, it's delayed, you know, um, I understand that aspect of the delayed highlight, but you know, I just want to see a write-up from the team just right after the game, you know, just a little bit more than that. I mean, those are two really minor complaints, but Again, uh, unfortunately, they lost today. They left the door open for Atletico to be the leaders this weekend. It's a two-team race between Atleti and Barcelona. Again, they have 30 games a season, so still early in the season. They're going to be jockeying back and forth. So I'm not too worried. I'm, you know, I'm more interested to see how, how far they get into the champions this year. 
yeah, I'm hoping they can get past the quarters for sure. And I mean, obviously, I hope we they can just win the whole thing. I think with those two new signings, especially though with Lika Martins and Tony Duggan, uh, I think they've definitely increased uh, their quality and their uh, their ability to get results. So I think they could potentially go all the way or at least get to the final in the Women's Champions League this year. So let's shift gears slightly to to Barca B. And actually, as we are recording this, Barca B is playing Rayo Vallecano. They're in the 77th minute at the moment, and Rayo Vallecano is up one nothing. So that's where it's at right now. Uh, if anything happens while we're recording, we'll keep you updated. But uh, I don't imagine that the result is, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it'll shift back. But so right now, you know, we're recording this Sunday morning time. Uh, there's still some games to be played in the second division. Um, but at the moment, Barca B are sitting at 16th in the table. Uh, they're one point behind Albacete and two points behind Nastic and Zaragoza, who have already played this week. So if they could somehow manage to get a win out of this game, uh, which I'm not really seeing happening, um, they could potentially, you know, move up to 12th place, which is, you know, a lot more comfortable than 16th. I mean, again, we've talked about this over and over again. We don't require that they win the second division or even finish in the top four or five. If they can stay mid-table and just stay in the second division, we're happy because it's really just about creating opportunities for the second team players to play, you know, more experienced and better sides who have had some some first division experience but it doesn't look good at the moment definitely and remember like Barca B is younger guys you know it's almost like a under 21 team and for example they're playing Raya Vallecano and those they have players that are 28 years old 30 years old that have played in the first division before so like you said our main goal is just to stay in the in the second division get more experience we'll see if they can pull out a tie while we're recording and hopefully just kind of stay mid-tier table yeah, we'll we'll keep you we'll keep you posted because there's a chance that the game will finish before we're done recording today. So this is like live radio, but actually not at all. You already know the result if you're paying attention. In any case, let's move on and shift to talking about La Liga. Just a general review. Um, big news out of Madrid: the Madrid derby, Atletico drew Real in the Wanda, leaving both of them ten points behind Barcelona, and as you've already mentioned, it was a bit of a boring game, but there was also a really fun highlight. Ramos got kicked in the MF in face. Got kicked in the face! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was... I watched this game with friends last night at the bar. There was an awesome environment at the bar, like always, for this Madrid Derby. I was hoping for a a 1-1 type of game, you know, at least see goals from both. Man, was it boring. Like, my friend was like, oh, it wasn't boring. I was like... No, it was super boring. Like, Atletico just went back. Real didn't really do anything. There wasn't that many chances. And as I posted on the Facebook uh, group, I um, posted the cover of Marca today. And basically it says, the derby was won by Barca. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great, right? So, you know, Barca won the game earlier. So, of course, uh, Real Madrid or Atletico had all the pressure to get some points off of this. And they were unable to do that. So... For me, like this game was super boring, super boring. And I just can't stand, you know, obviously Barca fan first and everything. But when Atletico plays Real Madrid, I hate the way they're so conservative. Like they just need to bring it to Real Madrid. They can play with Real Madrid, but Simeone doesn't allow it. And it just creates this 
ugly counterattacking football. And Real Madrid had most of the possession, but they couldn't do anything like we talked about. Benzema looked super slow, awful. All the people in the bar were just swearing at Benzema. It was hilarious to see this. They were just like, get this guy out of here, obviously in Spanish, right? And then also with Ronaldo too, like it was funny. And yeah, so, you know, good news for Barca for sure on the derby last night. Yeah, and there was also, uh, I was seeing this online today about this one play where Ronaldo was in a straight foot race with Juan Fran and Juan Fran beat him. So, I mean, there's definitely some talk that Ronaldo is uh, is losing some pace. I mean, definitely. He's not a pacey, I mean, he hasn't been a pacey player in a while, you know. But the thing is, is like, you have these two guys at top, Benzema and Ronaldo, who are not scoring goals. And that's their main job, right? So now when they're not scoring goals, they can't get goals from anywhere else. You could see when they put Asensio and it kind of changed the dynamic of the game a little bit, but still Atletico's defense held tight. And of course, All Black is just a beast as a goalkeeper. He is, you know, your prototypical what you want in a goalkeeper. Tall, strong. I mean, he doesn't take shit from nobody, you know? Yeah, and he has great reflexes. Oblak is a serious goalkeeper, man. But also going on in La Liga, uh, right now, again, as we record, Valencia, second place in, in the league, is playing Espanyol in Barcelona. It's halftime as we are recording, and it's tied at zero. Uh, so again, if there are any fun developments that come up, come up while we're recording, we'll let you know. I'm I don't know how the scheduling is going to work with that, but um, yeah. So they're playing in Barcelona. Um, I'm hoping Espanyol can take two or three points off of Valencia. At least at least two points. Get a draw out of that would be nice. And uh, we're going to get into this more later when we're doing the previews. But with Valencia being so close behind Barca, I imagine that, never mind this week, Valencia is going to come out hard on Barcelona next week. Yeah, actually, Valencia just scored. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there, as I was speaking, yes, Valencia, Valencia just scored. So they're up one nothing. But yeah, Valencia is definitely going to bring it because they've been out of it for the last four years. They've been in such chaos with terrible managers and with the new ownership and everything that's been going on at the club and now they're finally very competitive they have a really good manager they're they're playing really well they are going to bring it and plus the Mestalla is going to be rocking those people have been waiting a long time to have an important game and they're going to be ready for Barca for sure yeah and then rounding out the top five in the league uh, 12 points from the top is Sevilla so I mean you know, you got Atletico and Real. They're t- only 10 points back. I shouldn't say only. They're 10 points back from Barcelona. But then Sevilla is only two points behind that. So they could still potentially vie for, you know, third, fourth place. Uh, I think they're definitely on track to uh, be in Europe. But at the same time, I don't think they're making any threats to, to Barcelona at this point. And overall, talking about La Liga, you know, we have to assume that Barca will lose some points eventually, especially right now in the thick of the season with these injuries cutting into the squad. But at the moment, you know, it's a great start for Barcelona. They'd have to win the next seven games to match the that amazing 100-point year they had in 2012-13. Like in the first 19 fixtures, they had won 18 and had one draw in that year. So far, we're on track to repeat that. But you know, we're still, like I said, seven games away from that. It's a big ask. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, too, is like, you know, we're tying points here and there, too, which is nice. So we're not losing um, games. We're just we're still getting points at every opportunity. And like you said, we're not going to be able to win every match. That's just impossible. But we can strive for it, definitely. But again, 
La Liga is competitive. We're going to have Valencia. We have Madrid, Atletico. I mean, all these teams are going to con- continue to gun for us. So let's talk about Leganes and review that match. Uh, so this took place in Madrid at the uh, Butarque. The result was 3 nothing Barcelona, so we got three more points. And uh, you mentioned this, the 4 p.m. kickoff times are, are really tricky and weird. And uh, tell me more about that. What's that about? I mean, think about all the games that in the last two years or three years that we've had a 4 p.m. kickoff. They always start super slow. Um, it was still sunny, so that was kind of weird as well. Um, they're not used to playing these kind of, uh, you know, I don't even know what you would call these games because it's not like daytime game. It's almost like day going into night game. But yeah, here in Spain, 4 p.m. is like siesta time, you know, especially on the weekend. Like you go to lunch maybe with your friends or you go have kind of a brunch and then you come home at like 3 o'clock. And so the city is kind of dead around 3, 30, 4 o'clock. That plays with your clock. You know, it's almost like you're in this routine of playing 8.45 at night. And then all of a sudden you have a 4 p.m. kickoff. I mean, it really kind of screws up with your routine. So if you notice, any, I remember last year they played at, um, where they play? I think they played at Celta Vigo at 4 o'clock. And again, they were really sluggish. I mean, if you just notice, the 4 o'clock p.m. kickoff, they're always really super sluggish. Because, again, the Champions League... And also the the man uh, the match of the week are always played at eight forty five p.m. local time here. That's the local time match time. Yeah, so that's a, a really weird time of day. And I think I think that away game against Malaga last year that they lost was also a four p.m. kickoff. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking of the Malaga. That was a good point. That was I was thinking of that game. And it's just you know it may not seem like a big deal, but it just it is a big deal. Like four o'clock here just really feels really early. I I don't know how to explain it. Like even though like if I would say I'm gonna go meet you at four o'clock, I'd be like, oh my god, that's that's pretty early. How about six? <laughs> so when I'm so when I'm messaging you and I'm saying like, hey, could we record at nine a.m. my time here in Buffalo, which is like two in the afternoon? You're thinking like, oh man. I mean, like today, right? Like we were talking and I was like, hey, I'm going to lunch. And it's just kind of that time, you know, Um, it's tricky. But anyway, they were able to, you know, after the first, what, maybe 25, 30 minutes or so, they were able to kind of get going. And especially once Leganes started shooting on goal, I think that kind of woke them up a little bit. Yeah. Now, okay. so here's a message from the Leganes Tourism Board. Um, it's actually not. That's just a joke. But uh, if the Leganes Tourism Board wants to give us money to sponsor them on the podcast, we're more than happy to do that. So, you know, get in touch. But I I've, uh, I love that Leganes are known as the cucumber growers. And apparently, you know, it's because the area is known for their garden markets and especially cucumbers. But um, also, uh, where is Leganes in relation to Ikea, Gabriel? So in relation to Ikea, it's on the opposite side, unfortunately. They're not in the same area. They're Leganes is in the southwest and Ikea is in the southeast of Madrid. I had to look up Leganes because I didn't even know where it was. And um, because even though I've lived here for so long, I'm so bad at the directions of the suburb cities of Madrid. Like all my friends would be like, oh, I work in Alcorcón. I'm like, is that east, west? What is that? So (laughs) I had to look it up when you were asking me about this. And it's so funny because that cucumber growers, like no one would know that's why they're famous. That's such a like bullshit line. Like it's hilarious, you know, like Leganes is where you go, like where dreams die, right? Like that's where you go when you have kids and that kind of thing. Like that's the suburb kind of part of Madrid. So (laughs) So when you're done living a vibrant life and you're just going to settle down and raise some kids, you move to Leganes. Correct. Yeah. Or Getafe. (laughs) Or Getafe. Or Getafe. Right. But at least Getafe has that cool dating app now. 
so you can <laughs> hook up while you're at a Hatafe game. But I'll, speaking of stadiums, actually, um, I was really noticing how small and intimate the Butarque is. It's like a, it's kind of like a large high school or like community college stadium. St- the stands don't even go up that high. And like I love the Camp Nou and the excitement of all those people, but I would think that a stadium like Butarque would be a really cool place to watch Barca play an away game, you know, if you want to be close to the players. Yeah, I mean, when I was looking at the notes yesterday during the match, I when you wrote this and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point because it definitely feels like it looks like a community college football field, right? Like it doesn't have the stands that are so high, but just enough to have a crowd. And like I was looking at the tickets because I, sometimes I forget like how close Leganes is to me, you know, like I was like, I could have been, it's 20 minutes away. And I just didn't even think of like going, trying to go into the match, but since it is a small stadium, the tickets were going for 100 euros minimum. So a little bit outside my my budget here. So I I didn't go. But um, yeah, you know, watching the game up close like that, again, we've talked about it. It's almost like a minor league feel to it. And it's, you know, no, wherever Barcelona goes, the tickets are just too expensive. There's no way to get around it, I don't think, unless... Well, actually, if you go to a home game at the Camp Nou when they're playing some bottom-of-the-table team, then... The Camp Nou is like 29 euros. You're in for 29 euros, no problem. But yeah, if you wanted to go to the Butarque, like, you, like you've said many times with all of those uh, kind of smaller clubs, especially ones with smaller stadiums, you know, that's like their Super Bowl. So they can really charge a premium for tickets. And uh, it's a bummer, right? Because it would be so cool to get that close up to the Barca players and watch the game up close like that. But um, yeah, for, you know, working class guys like us, it's just... Uh, it's just not in the cards. Also, they try to package the tickets, too. So if you want to go to Barcelona, you have to buy 10 tickets at the same time. So they try to get you in that way. They, you know, they do that in American sports, too, right? Like if you want, especially like in the NBA, like if you're, if you're in Atlanta and you want to see, let's say, LeBron James, then you have to buy the LeBron James game plus 10 other games so that they get the you know, package deal. And that's what they do with these lower tier teams like Leganes. Uh, Ibar, like these type of teams, they package Barcelona or Real Madrid with 10 other games so that they'll guarantee having more people in the seats. Yeah, that's actually a really good, uh, really good tactic. Well, anyway, uh, let's talk about the game itself. So first up, let's talk about the lineup. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a good lineup. You know, I, I was really happy to see Pacal Kalsar getting the start. I thought he was going to bring a good uh, level of energy not only to the attacking, but also on defense. And then also, of course, Semedo uh, starting. And when that happens, usually that means Rakitic is going to have a good game. Unfortunately, he didn't have the his first 25, 30 minutes. He kind of, like I said, he looked like he was sleepwalking a little bit. But um, overall, I was really happy with the lineup. Did you have any points of contention with the lineup? Or what, what were your thoughts on the lineup? Well, I was a little bit surprised, actually, with the the quality of the lineup just it was very much first first string lineup and I say surprised because you know we I know that we have Juve coming up in four days and that's going to be a big game we're going to be asking for pretty much all the same players to start as started in this game and Leganes are not um a a weak opponent by any any means you know they're they're mid table and we saw a lot of quality coming from them actually um I was actually even a little bit surprised with the quality that Leganes were bringing to the game. But in any case, when I first saw the lineup, I was also very happy to see Alcacer in there. I was sort of expecting that he would be more out to the left, uh, but instead he was a little more on the right. But then again, you know, with the front three, there's so much rotation going on. But I was kind of, I guess, expecting or hoping that Alcacer would be 
more on the left side so that uh, we could ensure that Suarez could be more in the center. Uh, it didn't exactly work out that way, but I was also happy to see him. And I mean, how can you not start Semedo at this point? Because, you know, with Sergio Roberto injured, you know, you what what can you do? But again, it's also a good thing because, yeah, like you said, we, we know that then like Rakitic should probably have a better game. And just Semedo's speed is ridiculous. Yeah, and especially players who haven't played against him and then they see his speed. You can see their body language. You know, obviously I'm a body language expert. And, you know, I could just read their body language. They're just like, who is this guy that just came out of nowhere? Like the flash, you know, like he just comes out of nowhere. And for example, like I was never the fastest player. And I always hated, 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 hated playing against players that were super, super fast because that just made you have to think even that much quicker when you got the ball. Because when you got the ball, like all of a sudden this guy that's twice as fast as you, you have to already be ready thinking two moves ahead. And sometimes you just can't. And especially when you get tired, your legs get affected and you can't make those moves. But like I said, Tomato, seeing him start made me happy. He didn't play very well, you know, for the most part of the game, but he did enough to, you know, lock down everything on defense for Barca. Yeah, defensively, he did really well. And he likes to get forward, but I was noticing a lot of times when he was getting in more forward positions, he was kind of all alone out there. He didn't have any real support out on the right side, so he would have to either play it back or somehow try and work a, a, a throw in or something like that or just play it back. So I, I felt bad for him because a lot of times when he was getting forward, he didn't have anyone to like combine with to like make a play. So it was I don't think that like tactically it was working out in his favor, but I don't think that was necessarily all on him. And then talking about um, Alcazar and Suarez and Messi, they, it was almost like a like a four four two lineup in that Suarez and Paco Alcazar were kind of interchanging because in the second half, Alcacer was on the left side, for example, when the goal was scored by Suarez. So they were almost kind of interchanging left and right, which I think really helped Suarez because he wasn't just focused on one side. He can kind of crisscross with Alcacer and Messi, obviously, in the middle, um, making the pass, um, directing the traffic and doing the attacking. So it was almost kind of like a mix 4-3, 4-4-2 hybrid type of thing, which I think for Suarez suits him that he can kind of float left side, right side, depending on where. But again, I cannot stand this again. Um, last time I checked, he's a professional football player. How many times is this guy offside? Like, seriously. You know, there was one in particular where I was stunned. I was genuinely stunned with just, like, how lazy he was in, in paying attention to his positioning. And the positioning was such that had he been onside, I think he would have gotten a goal. He would have been in open field. He would have had a clear shot. He would have gotten a goal. But he was just like spaced out or just like the a really, really dumb offside that he allowed to happen. One in particular. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't even know how many times he was called offside. But there was that that one made me really I won't say mad because I don't want to admit to being that emotionally like caught up in it, but I didn't like it. <laughs> I did not like it. But the thing is, like, you know, I'll just give you my example. Like, when I was 12 years old playing, like, in this travel team and so forth, I was I was playing, like, a striker. And I remember one game I got offsides four times in a row. Like, you know, just, like, four attacking. I ruined the attack because I was offsides. And at that point, I didn't really kind of know what offsides was because it's kind of – it was a gray area. And then my dad explained to me. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to let this happen again. That is my priority is to stay onside and to try to let the attack continue. I just can't get this guy because, like, he's always offsides. And I know he's trying to do these amazing runs, but all he has to do is 
just like do a quick turn on his left shoulder to see where he's on the line or not. Like it just baffles me. It just baffles me. Like there was a couple plays like he's there for the taking, but if he just would have waited like one step sooner, like he would be fine. But of course he just doesn't see the last line. It just drives me crazy. That's, and obviously his biting, but other than that, you know, what are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Just so disappointing. Uh, just, just stay on side. Like, don't even worry about scoring goals. If you could just stay on side, not get, if you could just have one match where you don't get called offside once, I think we would be absolutely stoked. Exactly. That would, that would be, uh, he would, if he didn't get offsides one time, he would be my man of the match. Guarantee that. Okay. <laughs> my man of the match other than Messi. But the other thing too, is like, for example, in the third goal, the third goal is a, is a perfect demonstration of keeping the attack alive when the first run failed, right? When the first run failed, but they kept kind of attacking, there was slop and all this. But again, if that first run was called off sides, we don't have that opportunity. And so that's what Suarez just kind of has to, okay, he got out of his drought, to, you know, yesterday, but he just needs to focus on just keeping the attack alive by keeping on side. Yeah. Now you mentioned Messi and you mentioned also how we're both experts in nonverbal communication. And so I want to bring this point up. Um, we're actually really experts in all things related to the psyche of a footballer. Uh, that much is clearly true. So what can we say about the relative absence of Messi in this match? Now, here's what I mean. Um, Leganes were playing generally very tight up the middle of the pitch. They were succeeding in closing down any space for Messi to operate. So I'm not putting this all on him. I think Leganes went out of their way to try and shut him down and close down space so that he couldn't operate. And I think they were generally pretty successful at that, particularly in the first half. And that started to, they started to open up more in the second half. And that's when we saw the goals start coming. But he also seemed a bit subdued, again, especially through the first half. And then he came alive in the later stages of the game. Uh, Particularly that goal from Paulinho was really only because of Messi's brilliance and tenacity, which was a crazy goal. Um, But let me get into that goal in just a minute. But what are your general thoughts about, you know, uh, what, what's your expert's opinion on on Messi's psyche in this match? Well, it's funny because um, my father, Gonzalo Quiroga, he messaged me during the game. He's like, where's Messi? And I'm just like, dude, just calm down. Like, I don't like Messi can have a game where he's not the you know, he he's not the best player out there, but he did enough in the game where we won the game. And so sometimes, especially, you know, he just played during their national break. You know, just kind of easing into the match. Now, I think he's just getting psyched up for Juve, and I think he'll come out guns blazing for the Juve match. But again, uh, I think the better thing coming out of this is Suarez getting out of the drought. I think that is the most important thing because now we have, if he starts to score, then all of a sudden we have some more balance in our scoring and we're not just depending on Messi. So, for example, last year, if Messi would have had this game, do we win the game? That's the question, right? Like, that's kind of how we're judging from this season to last season. And for me, it's like Messi didn't have the greatest game, but we still came up with the result. And we won 3 nothing in an away game, 4 p.m. match. Like, that's perfect for me. I'm happy with everything on that. Yeah. Now, before we get into our men of the match other than Messi, um, and actually, even even if we put Messi in the running, I wouldn't actually give him man of the match this week. But again, that's fine. He is he is actually human, even though we talk about how he's from another planet. He is actually a human being. So, you know, sometimes he'll he'll not have the most brilliant match. But I do want to talk about that one goal, that crazy goal in the 89th minute, the third goal from uh, that Paulinho actually put away. And just I want to highlight how this break broke down. 
So Vidal, he comes down the right. Uh, Rakitic plays it to him. He plays it to Suarez, who makes like an, an ill-advised dummy, or he wasn't aware of the the defender coming up. He was trying to leave it for Messi, but Ruben Perez got a foot on it, but it wasn't a full foot. It was only a half foot. Messi still manages to get hold of the ball. He plays it out to Jordi with like four men swarming around him. So even getting that pass off was impressive. And then he runs into the box for the return. He takes the shot. It's blocked. He gets the rebound and he's walking the ball on the touchline like a tightrope. He falls to the ground, still manages to make a pass. And then Paulinho just pokes it in with his toe. And this has given me the idea to come up with a new exclamation. Oh, my goat. <laughs> so it's like, like oh it. my god but it's yes goat. yes i get like it? it i like it i get it i get it it's good and again it's uh it's my favorite player of the year so far paulinho coming up aces with another goal you know i can't believe this guy this guy's my favorite player now i'm gonna get a paulinho yeah. jersey for christmas uh but no but you know that goal was like almost like a perfect um hockey slop goal you know what i'm talking about where it's just like where sticks are poking and and uh you know you don't even know where the puck is and all of a sudden boom it's in the net and that's what it felt like um when i was watching it you've seen all the action you're seeing all this going on then all of a sudden you see paul you know just stuck out his big toe and there it goes in the back of the net and yeah so great so again paulinho coming in as a second half substitute i think that really suits him because like we've always talked about his physicality he has an attacking prowess, aerial presence, all these things that in the second half, if you're playing defense for 80 minutes against Barcelona, and all of a sudden Bar- uh, Paulinho comes off the bench and on a corner kick, you got to defend him. It's like the last thing you want to do. So, again, I was pretty happy with the substitutions for the most part, except for Vidal coming. I wasn't too thrilled about that. I mean, just let Semedo play a full match. I know. I was actually uh, chatting with the, with one listener during the game on Instagram, and he had the same sentiment. You know, like, why... Why is he taking Semedo off? And I said, maybe he's trying to rest him for, for Juve. And and his response was, rest him? From what? All the training he's been doing? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Like, Valverde, Valgreen makes some really curious uh, rotational decisions and substitute decisions sometimes. But he does keep getting results. I don't know. I mean, yeah, we can't. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, we talked about before. The only thing that we are you know, questioning about Val Green are just like a couple substitutions here. We're living the life right now, you know? Think about all the other, like, top-tier teams, you know? They have chaos going on. Like, you talk about Chelsea or Arsenal or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. Like, they have more problems this season than we do. Our only thing right now is like, oh, Semedo's not playing the full 90, but we're still we're still getting results left and right, which is very, very impressive. And, again, we have to... um raise a glass to Suarez for scoring two goals, breaking his drought. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to see more goals from Suarez uh, in the near future. And hopefully he's feeling better, both physically and mentally as the uh, away hell continues. But so let's get into man of the match. Who was your man of the match, Gabriel? My man of the match was Paco Alcazar. I think he provided the energy that was needed for yesterday's type of match. Um, he was involved in the two goals, um, especially the first one where he kind of just threw it against the goalkeeper. And since there was traffic, the goalkeeper couldn't hang on to the ball. And of course, Suarez poached it in. Um, I think that him also just, he, he just looks hungry, right? Since he was involved in both goals, I think that just adds to him playing more and giving him more confidence. And again, in the second goal, he was involved. He almost did the same thing where he, you know, 
had a nice strike against the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper couldn't hang on to it, and Suarez pounced on the rebound. So again, I think Paco's energy, not only on the attacking, his speed, his he's more direct, right? Like when we talk about Deuces playing on the right wing, he's always trying to dance. And I think Alcazar is is has got the poacher's mentality. He's looking for the goals, and when he's in, we're scoring the goals. So that for me was the man of the match, other than Messi. What do you think of Paco's performance? I thought Paco did a great job, and I really like the way that he sort of changes the complexion of the attack, and I like actually having him and Suarez out there as well. So, you know, that does change a little bit uh, what we would expect from the lineup because that gives us zero wingers. But uh, on the other hand, if we're asking the midfielders and the fullbacks to come forward and operate in a role similar to that, then I think Paco and Suarez working together is, I think, working actually pretty well, and we should see more of it. So I think overall, I think I'm really happy with Paco's performance lately. I think he's given a nice balance to Suarez up top. So Suarez isn't double teamed up there. So I think overall, I, I like the progression of Paco in the last games. Brian, who was your man of the match other than Messi? T.S. T.S. Elliott, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen uh, was my man of the match. And my man LRock88 on Instagram is with me on this. And uh, there was actually a tweet that uh, you put into our show notes from FC Barcelona, which I think just says it all. You know, uh, they point out he played 90 minutes. He completed 21 passes, made nine recoveries, and actually led the team in recoveries. He made seven saves conceded zero goals it's his eighth clean sheet of the season and the final point is that he's the man so Ter Stegen is definitely the man you know you cannot discount or undervalue the contribution he made in that game to keep the sheet clean and make those three goals count for a win yeah I mean I think that's a really good choice and I love this tweet because you know it has the green checks the green check mark so it's like 90 minutes played check 20 21 completed passes check you know um, but again, he made a crucial save after Barcelona well, we were up one nothing. Um, there was like a clear line where the Leganes player had a, a shot on goal, curved it, and Ter Stegen read that perfectly. And, you know, if Leganes scores that goal, who knows? It could be a totally different game. But Ter Stegen, I think for me, has raised his game another maybe 15 to 20% from last year. I think he just looks super confident uh, leading the team, and also, dude, that's crazy. Like, 21 completed passes as a goalkeeper. And, of course, they weren't just little little short passes. You know, there was a couple there where he just dinks and dunks them perfectly to the midfield. I mean, for me, you know, Ter Stegen has been a revelation this season. He, I think also, since Val Green is putting more emphasis on defense, it's shining more on Umtiti, Ter Stegen, and PK and Busquets. As a, I'm gonna start calling them the battery, just like in baseball, the battery. As a, as a really, really strong battery, probably the strongest battery in world football right now. You can't argue with the stats, and having these zero goals conceded are just giving us more confidence, especially when we have to play these big games. Yeah, absolutely. And one other little comment from a listener. This came from Schnarfen on Instagram about this exact uh, issue with Ter Stegen. He says, I know from personal experience as a goalkeeper how scary one-on-one situations can be, and I just have to show admiration for how Ter Stegen handles each and every situation. Also, good to see Luis Suarez looking dangerous after his international break 
vacation. Thanks, Schnarfen, for that. Although, to be fair, Suarez was not on vacation. He wasn't playing in any matches, but he was training that whole time. He was in the sand pit. You know, they made a video. They put a video on the website, so that's how you know he was working, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, anytime I want to make sure that I'm working, I put my video out there as well. But, uh, you know, like... Like we talked about, Ter Stegen has just been money this season. And, you know, if we compare the last two seasons, you know, Ter Stegen was solid, but he always, this is a game where we would have won two to one or three to one. We always conceded a goal. And I think Val Green's tactics of emphasizing defense more first, because, you know, we're always going to be able to score. But if we can hold down the fort on defense and then focus on our attack, you can see the results so far. I mean, how can you argue so far? I mean, we look... Like yesterday, the game scared me. As soon as I saw the kickoff and the way they started playing, I was like, "Uh oh, this is like Malaga again. But again, these are the type of games that are you have to these are going to be, you know, a slugfest and you're going to have to pull them out. And they were able to do that. Yeah. And I think we actually really have to thank um, Paulinho for it. You know, again, I think I think we figured out which fathead we need to put up on your wall in your apartment. I think it's going to be Paulinho. Do you think I should do like Paulinho, like Andy Warhol style? So it looks absolutely. I think there should be a whole a field, a whole grid of like nine, at least four, right? Because that's the standard Andy Warhol. At exactly. least four Paulinos in different color hues. Yeah, for sure. Should should Paulinho also be flipping me off at the same time? I think that I would think be... so because you gave him a lot of shit early on. I did. And now I did. you've made a hundred eighty degree turn on Correct. Paulinho. But that's what makes me such a, a a great human. I'm adaptable. I can change my opinion. I'm not stuck in these certain things. If you show me the light, I will follow you, you know? So, Paulinho, you have done very well so far this season. I think he's been, just like Ter Sagan, another revelation. You know, obviously, Val Green knew what he wanted with Paulinho. And I think also the way he's using him, you know, spot starts and then also coming in, just like we said before, almost like a Keita 2.0. Like, he's a better attacking version of Keita, just maybe a little bit more physical and a better aerial presence. And just like we've also used the comparison of like in baseball, when you bring in a closer, you bring those fresh legs, Paulinho, especially in the middle of the field. There's a couple of times where he took the ball almost coast to coast and Leganes didn't have the legs to compete with him, to run with him. So again, Val Green just pushing all the right buttons. My only thing is I just want to see Semedo more and complete the 90 minutes because I think he needs that. Yeah. And uh, also the most important thing is that you're the bigger man is that, you know, you were willing to change your opinion. That's the really imp- the important takeaway from all of this is that you're the bigger man. Thank you, Brian. You know, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to be a renaissance man, a man in touch with my feelings, a man that's always, you know, adaptable to different situations. And this is no different. So, you know, I, I can I can admit when I'm wrong and I was wrong about Paulinho. So like I said, a couple podcasts ago, I was happy to see him start. And now when I see him, I feel very good that we're going to win the game. Yeah, if you want to track the history of that, go go to episode 50, and you can hear the moment that Gabriel changed his mind and actually said he was happy to see Paulinho in the lineup. But anyway, let's uh, preview some matches. So first match coming up this, uh, this week, of course, is going to be in the Champions League against Juventus in Allianz Stadium in Turin. And... We, you know, usually like to now highlight players to watch. And for me, with Juve, honestly, the player to watch from our perspective is Buffon. He's just one of the toughest goalkeepers. He's still such a great goalkeeper. Very tough to score against. How are we going to deal with, even if you get past the defensive lines, how do you beat Buffon? 
I mean, especially now going to Turin, they're going to get more of the calls in their favor. And of course, you know, as typical Italian teams play, it's going to be more physical. It's going to be almost playing like an Atleti game, almost like a Premier League game. So they're going to have a little bit more advantageous calls for them. I mean, we just have to come with our game. I'll be interested to see if Paulinho gets the start in this. I kind of would like to see Paulinho start and, you know, match that physicality because, again, we didn't have Paulinho last year, and I think that's what we were lacking in the midfield. We have to bring it to Juventus. And I think they'll be focused, especially from last year getting walloped and just trying to become top of the table. If they win tomorrow or if they win against Juventus, I think they can coast the rest of the time. And so that'll be an important match. You know, obviously we'll be watching and, you know, again, we'll see how it turns out. I, I would be perfectly happy with a 1-1 or a win. I'm, you know, if we lose one nothing, I mean, that's going to be difficult in the future. But again, playing in Turin at that stadium against Buffon, like you said, who's been a goalkeeper for what, 40 years or something? 40 years. I mean, he's been a, I mean, he just, he was with the Italian national team like last week when they failed to qualify. And he's been a goalkeeper since like 1996 or something crazy like that. Like insane. So he is the, the wall back there, and of course, um, Messi had a, a long scoreless streak against him, but he was able to um, break through that last time, and hopefully Messi can have another big game for us. Yeah, and as far as uh, players to watch on Juventus, uh, on the on the attacking side of Juventus, you know, uh, Dybala, of course, is going to be uh, one to watch. He scored 13 goals for Juve this season, but also uh, Pjanic, their assist leader, is uh, one to watch also. See, he's going to be in the midfield. He's going to be looking to make assists. He's going to be looking to dish it off to Dybala to put the goals away. So uh, those are also some players to watch for, for Juventus. And then the other match uh, coming up this week, we've already hinted at this. We've talked about it already, but let's let's get into it in a little bit more detail. Uh, next Saturday, I believe, um, in La Liga, Barcelona are going to be going to the Mestalla, a formidable place to go to play Valencia, who are in second place. And at the moment, let's uh, check in. Gabriel, how's Valencia doing at this moment against Espanyol? So it's a final. Valencia won 2-0. Ah. Yeah. So that keeps uh, Valencia within four points of Barcelona. So uh, worst-case scenario, um, Barcelona will still stay on top at the end of La Liga next week. But in any case, um, that's not great. But the big things that we got to worry about are the fact that PK is not going to be able to play. He's going to be on yellow card suspension, which means Vermalen is going to get the start, right? Because Mascherano's injured, as we talked about earlier. So obviously Vermalen's going to get the start. And I think that's actually a good reason why Paulinho should also start to try and help Vermalen on a slightly more defensive end. Or, you know, have maybe Paulinho and Busquets kind of trading and helping out in the center because I... um. I don't. I don't fully trust Vermalen. Oh, you don't. What do you? No. What, do you tr- what do you trust more, Vermalen or one of those car chasing lawyers? You know, <laughs> car accident chasing lawyers. Like, dude. Like, I was reading Twitter. It was like, uh, we have Vermalen playing. I was like, I'd rather have cones or a bag of balls playing defense. You know, at least they're <laughs> stagnant and they're always going to be there. I mean, Vermalen for me playing in a big game like this scares the shit out of me. Seriously. Um, I, you know, I was just kind of thinking in my head, what if he did something like, you know, um, Jordi Alba, Umtiti, Semedo, Vidal as a back line. I'd be down for that. Or even have Busquets playing center back, 
and Paulinho. Because then you just kind of have Busquets floating in. And I don't know. Like, I don't know how much trust uh, Val Green has in Vermeulen. But again, also, this match is a La Liga match. It's away at Valencia. He might just use Vermeulen and just say, you know, we just go play and that's it and see what happens. Because, um, you know, you just try to get the points. And if you can't, oh, well, if we lose, it's not a bad loss. You know, it's not like losing in Ibar or something like this. This is going to be a highly contested game. And like we said, we can't win every game. And this this could also just be a throwaway game just to kind of break the streak, you know, because the one of the things, too, is when you streak for so long, like when you start winning like post 20 games, then it puts a lot of pressure. Right. And so maybe it might be good to have a reset and you put Vermeulen in there and you say, OK, Vermeulen, just go play. We'll give PK a break and we'll just play with our best 11 that we think. And we'll just go with the best options and just go play and see what we can do instead of trying to be so um, nutty professor with the tactics and trying to be like outsmarting yourself. Right. Or could he possibly bring up a player from the B squad? Would he do that? That's interesting. I, you know, I don't person, if I were the manager, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I just think there's just too much on the line. And I think you just kind of, you have Umtiti back there and you're just hoping that he can communicate well with Vermeulen because obviously they speak French. So maybe that's also a nice uh, thing. No, I'm serious, Brian. You're laughing. You're laughing. <laughs> you're laughing. But no, that's, you're right. It's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how good Vermeulen's Spanish is, right? But I know Mtt's French is pretty darn good, right? And Vermeulen is is Belgian. So that communication could also be key, you know? So they could have a really good communication, especially since they're speaking in their native tongue. Again, I would just I would just roll out Vermeulen and just take our chances with that. I think, you know, I think he'll be decent enough to to be formidable as a defender, especially if we have Semedo and Alba back there. I think we should be okay. Yeah, and this is all assuming that uh, Vermeulen doesn't injure himself this week during training. That is correct. Maybe he's like getting out of the car. He's like, oh, no, my hamstring, you know, and then, <laughs> and then he's out. Which and could then... happen with Vermeulen, you know? I know. He is Mr. Glass. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, talking about Valencia in general, you know, that their new manager that they got this year, Marcelino, man, he has totally just picked Valencia up from the gutter and brought them back to life this year, you know? Yeah, I mean, Marcelino was a, you know, was a great manager at uh, Villarreal and he had them competing at a high level. He had to take the year off because he quit the team um, in September last year. So he couldn't coach for any other like Liga team. And so I think he did a good job so far with Valencia. He has them playing in a really nice formation. They're not playing too many um, uh, midweek uh, games, so he has them rested and playing really well. Again, we just saw they pull out another victory today, 2 nothing, very impressive. And, you know, Marcelino will have some tricks up his sleeve for sure. Yeah, now I have a couple of players uh, to watch on my list for Valencia. I have a short list. Do you have a short list of players to watch from Valencia? No, for me, it's the most important for me is Marcelino. I mean, I think that's the most important because he knows Barcelona pretty well. He's matched up with them so often. I think he's brought Valencia out of the gutter. You know, he's changed the roster and the players he's picked are playing at their best level in years. So who are some of the players you highlighted? Well, the main one that I'm going to have my eye on is actually uh, Dani Parejo, the midfielder. And it seems like he's been at Valencia for so long. He's like one of those kind of like mascot players for Valencia. And of course, we've seen how last year, year before, you know, Valencia were not doing well. They were in just complete disarray. 
uh, bad management, um, uh, absentee owner, uh, no one real steady or anyone you could count on on the coach's bench. But again, you know, like the point you raised about Marcelino is how he's like really marshaled this group together and he's getting good performances out of them. And Danny Parejo is, um, I think, the playmaker in the squad. Uh, he's the free kick taker. He's he's the guy to look out for. But then also, you know, you got to keep your eye on Rodrigo. He's he's their uh, he's their second best goal scorer, but their top goal scorer is is injured right now. So those are the guys I'm going to be watching. I, mean, I think that's a really good list. And again. Marcelino has them playing, you know, like the best they've played in years. And just like you highlighted, the manager situation they've had the couple of years was complete chaos. They had, um, what's his name? Uh, Gary Neville. I think it's Gary Neville. Yeah. He didn't even speak Spanish. Like, are you kidding me? Like, how is this guy going to coach? Like, you have to, like, know some sort of the language to communicate because all the players don't speak English here, you know? And that was just complete chaos. And, of course, the ownership fired i mean i think in the last four seasons they've had three different managers or four even so i mean that's just complete chaos and but now marcelino has turned the ship and again playing in the mustaya is a really difficult stadium that's going to be the 12th man basically and it's a tight field as well so again it's 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 like we talked about um putting barcelona in a telephone booth you're going to have a better chance of beating them because they can't spread you out so far so that's going to be a difficult thing to watch as well. Yeah. Now, before we uh, close out the show today and do our outro, just a quick update. The Barca B match has finished, and they wound up losing to Rayo Vallecano one nothing. Of course, if you're listening to this on Monday or later, you already know that. But in case you're not you know, keeping your ear to the ground on Barca B, just wanted to say, um, unfortunately, they, they couldn't pull out a draw with Rayo. So bad news. But we'll uh, pick back up with them next week. That's it for this week, folks. Be a part of the show. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Find your preferred method of contact at barsatalk.net. And don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word about Barsatalk to your friends and subscribe. Thanks for listening. I am Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening again. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network.